Let's try it again. Good morning, church. Oh, uh, you guys don't know how good you have it right now. Eight o'clock, eight fifteen, eight thirty service. Eighty-three degrees in here. The air was not working, and I thought, "Oh, Jesus, help us!" Second service is going to be rough. So it may still be a little warm out there, but it's a lot cooler. Uh, if you get too hot, come sit up here with me. We've got some fans going up on the platform. Get some breeze. But uh, we've been working on the air conditioner for the last couple weeks, and we found out that it's a, uh, more of an electrical issue. So we're getting some of that taken care of this week. And uh, where is, is Mick in here? I don't know if Mick is in here. Our deacon serving today. He, uh, there he is over there. You can thank Mick because he had to, like, redo things and bypass things, and he knows what he's doing, and he got it to work. So thank you, Mick. Really appreciate that. <clears throat> so um, that's good. So God is good. And all the time, God is good. We had the doors open here for a service. They got music. They got an offering call. They got <laughs> everything else that went. I don't, hopefully uh, it didn't disturb them too much. Uh, but, um, well, today... Uh, we are starting a series on the book of Philippians, and we will be doing this uh, through the end of November, uh, about a 12-part series, and um, I love the book of Philippians. It is truly a, a happy book, a book of rejoicing, um, especially when you take into consideration where Paul is writing from. You know, he's writing from prison. How can you be so happy when you're writing from prison? And, and you need to understand, in Paul's day, when, when you're in prison, they, they don't feed you. You have to rely fully on people who care about you outside of prison to bring you food. And so Paul fully had to, you know, later on we'll read that he learned to be content in all circumstances. How on earth do you to do that. Well, we live in a day and age where sometimes people say, well, you know, is the Bible really relevant? How does it speak to us in the 21st century? And, you know, it does seem kind of odd that this, this book, thousands of years old, can impact us in such a way. Uh, I got a kick out of, out of some um, information I found out this week. Uh, each August since 1998, Beloit College has released the Beloit College Mindset List providing a look at the cultural touchstones that shape the lives of students entering college this fall. So here's how this year's list for the class of 2019 begins. Students heading into their first year of college this year are mostly 18 and were born in 1997. Among those who have never been alive in their lifetimes are Princess Diana, Jacques Cousteau, and Mother Teresa. Kind of hard to imagine that, huh? Some of those. I remember w growing up watching Jacques Cousteau, you know, on, those, on TV. Since they have been on the planet, hybrid automobiles have always been mass-produced. Google has always been there. They have never or probably never licked a postage stamp. Email has become the new formal communication, while texts and tweets remain on clubs for the casual. They have grown up treating Wi-Fi as an entitlement. Cell phones have become so ubiquitous in class that teachers don't know whether students are using them to take notes or which ones are planning a party. Their parents have gone from encouraging them to use the internet to begging them to get off the internet. <laughs> How on earth 
Can this man in prison, writing to a church in Philippi, be relevant to us today? You know, when you study the human person, one of the things that are essential to life is hope. And every human being needs hope. When you lose hope, you begin to lose life, in a sense. And every human being, whether young or old or midlife or whatever the situation is, longs for hope and clings to hope. And Paul was a man who lived with incredible hope. And it wasn't hope in vain. It was hope in everything that Jesus said he was and what he did. In his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. Meeting Jesus on that Damascus road when he was converted radically transformed his life and he now had hope. And he was bringing that hope to the world as best as he could and as God would lead him on all those different missionary journeys. And so there he was in prison. But he thrived even in prison because of the hope that Jesus Christ brought to his life. And so in this day and age, no matter what we might be facing physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, financially, church, we have an incredible hope. And it's our King Jesus Christ. And when we are fully convinced of God's reign through Jesus Christ in this life and the life to come, we have an incredible hope that cannot be taken from us. No matter what happens to the body, no matter what anybody does to us, even if you're in prison counting on others to bring you food, you have hope. In fact, as Paul brings out so much in Philippians, you have deep, profound joy. So much so that you are rejoicing, even in prison. Because the God that gives you hope is not bound by chains. He's not bound by physical conditions. And so Paul rejoices. And he writes this letter to the Philippians. Just to give you a little bit of background, uh, Philippi was a, a city that was governed by Rome. It was a colony of Rome. Back in about 360 B.C., King Philip, who was the father of Alexander the Great, came upon this place, and he called it Philippi. It was the name of him, himself, Philip. And uh, as time went on, about 42 B.C., when Rome was in the battles, Octavius, uh, and uh, I'm trying to remember, um, my mind slipped me, sorry. I knew this so well, I didn't have it in my notes. So. <laughs> but Octavius and others got into a civil war about 42 B.C., uh, after Caesar was killed, and they had a bunch of veterans after the war. So instead of sending them all back to Rome and to Italy, they kept them there and created this colony. They didn't want hundreds and thousands of soldiers coming back. They wanted them there. And so Philippi became a colony of Rome. And so basically it looked and acted just like Rome. It was governed just the same as Rome. And so Paul went into Philippi, the first, the first place he went with the gospel in Europe, to preach the gospel. 
and God blessed. If you want to read about Paul's journey to Philippi, his second missionary journey, you can find it in Acts chapter 16. And there you'll remember the story about Lydia, the seller of purple, and, and the guard that was converted when Paul was in prison and his family was baptized and so forth. And God really blessed when he went there on that second missionary journey. Some good Sabbath afternoon reading. And so Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. And let's remember that the church is people. It's not a place. It's not a building. So when he writes to the church at Philippi, he's writing to the people of God in Philippi. And he's writing with a very thankful heart, and he is rejoicing. He gives thanks to God because out of all the places that Paul has been, all the churches that have started as a result of God's work through Paul and his ministry, they have sent him money. They have sent him things to take care of him while away, and, and he's blessed, and he's encouraged. And so in Philippians, he's giving thanks to God. He's very happy. Philippians is a very happy book. Now, there are other letters where Paul is far from happy. Uh, last week, we brought out a verse of Galatians, and you read the book of Galatians, and Paul is ticked off. He says some things that, that I, I, I wouldn't say up front, okay, although it's biblical. You read 2 Corinthians, and he's extremely angry at what's going on there. But the book of Philippians, he's, he's happy and he rejoices. And the reason why he's rejoicing and giving thanks is because he's praising God for the fruit of their lives as followers of Jesus Christ. That their experience and their conversion wasn't kind of a, just a flash in the pan, but, but that the fruits of their life of following Jesus and o obeying him were coming out in how they lived their lives. And so he gives God thanks and praise for what he's doing. I would, like to, uh, I would like to take a little quick overview uh, in the book of Philippians and just hit some highlights of some places that we're going to go. And then this morning I want to focus just on the first two verses. Now, um, I didn't want to uh, belabor our projectionist this morning with, with a lot of texts. So I'm going to ask if you, have, if you have the Bible on your device, feel free to pull it out. Don't text, you know, don't Facebook, all that type of stuff. Just pull out your Bible. Now, if you don't have that, there's this thing in front of you in the pew. It's called a book, and it's bound. It's got pages. It says Bible on it. You're welcome to use that. Pull that out. And we're going to look at the book of Philippians here a little bit. We're just going to kind of flip through together. All right? Uh, if you're not familiar with where Philippians is, you can find the Gospels and then go to Acts and Romans and then First and Second uh, Corinthians. And then when I was growing up, we used a little uh, acronym for Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. It was called Go Eat Popcorn, all right? <laughs> so G-E-P-C. So I've stuck with me as a kid or General Electric Power Company. I mean, you do everything when you're memorizing books of the Bible, right? So go on, keep going to your right. You'll come across the book of Philippians, only four chapters long. And it was written about 60 A.D. Paul had been there on his missionary journey probably around 50 A.D. And um, Paul writes. I just want to bring out a few things. In chapter 1... Some beautiful verses that some of you may be familiar with and maybe didn't know where they were, but here's this beautiful verse in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's confident of the work that God has done in the Philippians and will continue to do. And then the, the title of our series comes from verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
the hope that Paul had. You hear it here in, in prison. To live is Christ. Christ is everything. And then in chapter 2, we have this beautiful hymn. Many theologians believe that this passage from verses 5, or actually 6 through 11, was actually a hymn that was common in Paul's day, and, and Paul was quoting it in this passage. But here's this beautiful example of the humility of Christ. In verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing. And it goes on and talks about how he took on the form of human likeness and became a servant, was obedient to God even to death on a cross, and, and so forth. We'll look at that in detail in a, in a few weeks. And then... Later on in chapter 2, uh, beginning around verse 12, at the second half of verse 12, there's this phrase that often kind of makes people question what, what Paul's talking about here. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And sometimes people read that and they go, oh, I thought we were saved by grace. What does this have to work out my salvation with fear? Well, we're going we're gonna to process that when we get there in a couple of weeks. But it's actually great news of what Paul is telling us here. For he goes on, he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And I like verse 14, chapter 2. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, we could just marinate in that for today, couldn't we? Do everything, not some things, but do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in the warped and crooked generation. That's something I think I could just dwell on for a while for myself here. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. In chapter 3, he goes on, and he tells us in verse 3 to put no confidence in the flesh. And then verse 7, and I want to I take the time to just read this because this, this shows the hope and the faith that inspired Paul and why he, why he put so much effort into the work of God and his faith in Jesus. Verse 7, chapter 3, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can you feel Paul? Just putting everything in to the work of God. Putting everything into, considering everything else a loss and garbage com compared to knowing Christ and experiencing him fully and bringing him to the world that he lives in. He goes on in verse chapter 4. And here are these words that we might be familiar with. Verse 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord most of the time. What does it say? Come on, pastor, that's a lot. All the time, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. Do you think Paul knew about that? While he's in prison, that he could rejoice in the peace of God? Because later on in verse 11, he says, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. In verse 13, why? Because I can do all this, all this, my chance is all this through him who gives me strength, all this through Christ who strengthens me. To live is Christ. To live abundantly is to live with Christ and to be in Christ. Today, verses 1 and 2 might just appear to be a a nice greeting. It could be the type of material that when you read the book of Philippians, you kind of get through the hellos and this is who I am, let's get on to the meat. But yet, really, verses 1 and 2 summarize that to live is Christ. Looking at verses 1 and 2 in the uh, New International Version, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at it in the New American Standard. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now let me just read it in the message translation. Paul and Timothy, both of us committed servants of Christ Jesus, we write this letter to all the Christians in Philippi, pastors and ministers included. We greet you with the grace and peace that comes from God our Father and our Master, Jesus Christ. Take a look at that passage if you would. Let's put back up the, um, the New American Standard if, we, if you would. Take a look at that and would you just see what you might notice about Jesus in those passages. Just, just look at that for a second. You see, you'll see if you look at it closely that Paul is summarizing almost in a sense to live is Christ. It's like he's writing this at the beginning and then he's going to unpack it all in details. Or as one of my professors at La Sierra University say, he's going to put tennis shoes on this and make it walk for the rest of the, rest of the book. But to live is Christ. Look at the first verse. He says what? Paul and Timothy, bondservants of who? Of Christ Jesus. They were servants of Christ Jesus. May I remind you that God had many servants in the scriptures. Paul. James was a, says he was a servant of, of God, of Christ Jesus. Peter a servant. Jude, a servant. John. When you read the book of Joshua, Moses was considered the servant of God. Joshua and David. And God refers to all of his prophets in the Old Testament, his messengers, as his servants. The book of Acts says, God says, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. 
Timothy and Paul, bondservants, bondslaves of Christ Jesus. You see, Paul knew that once you become a follower of Christ, you become a servant. Not to a God that just wants to have power and, and, and wants to just lord it over you. Jesus said that's how the world operates. That's not how the kingdom of God operates. In a world that's so obsessed with status and power, Jesus came as a servant. A servant to all. Not just an elect group. He came as a servant to all. And he says, anybody who's going to follow me is what? Going to be a servant. A servant. While the world puts so much emphasis on making it to the top, Jesus says, my kingdom's upside down. That's why I carry a cross. And that's why Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to die to self. Because true freedom is in giving your life away, not trying to preserve it. And we do that by serving. And Paul and Timothy said they're servants of Christ Jesus. Church, I'd like to suggest to you this morning, there is no greater title that you can have in this life than a servant of Jesus Christ. Period. Period. Because as we discussed last month, the kingdom of God is now and yet to come. But in the now, those who allow God to reign over them realize they have nothing to prove except to follow Jesus and love the world the way that Christ loves them. And you do that by serving. You do it by serving. I was interviewing for a position several years ago. Um, They were looking for a youth pastor. And uh, it looked like things were going to be good, and I was kind of excited about going there. And then I was kind of uh, meeting with, uh, with the lead pastor at that point to kind of see if we could make this work. And he said something that at that moment I knew I did not want to go to that church. Now, wonderful person, just we have a different philosophy of ministry, I guess. And at least, at least oh man, I hate to think of how long ago that was. Um, but at least about 25 years ago or so. Um, and he said, now he says, none of our pastors do things like put up overhead projectors or anything like that. Because you are a minister of the gospel. You are above that. And I, I went, uh, okay. <laughs> and I thought, it seems like we have that kind of confused. If Jesus could go to a cross, I think I could put up an overhead projector. That's what they call those, right? The, the transparencies? Is that what? I, I think, yeah, we cleared for that in the morning. I can't remember. And I thought, I just don't think that's the way we're supposed to do things. I don't know what sometimes we're pursuing in this life, but sometimes I get my priorities mixed up, and I'm sure you do too sometimes. And sometimes we just need to stop and say, I need to remember the greatest thing I can do with my life right now is be a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, the great news is is that it's not just like, all right, servant, here's your orders. The great news is we have to look at it and understand what it looks like. It looks like how the Father and the Son looked when Jesus was a servant on the earth. And he was submitting to the reign of his Father. And when he did that, do you think they had a profound, intimate relationship together? 
Absolutely. He knew the love of the Father. He knew how much his Father loved him, and he was obedient because he trusted the love of the Father. And so we are servants, not like, not like we're not connected to, to Jesus, but we are servants who are intimately connected with Jesus, who serve because we are so confident and sure of the love of God for us that we can give our lives away. We don't have to try to cling to it. And so we are servants of Jesus Christ. And Paul's rejoicing because the Philippians' lives are showing that they too are servants. And when Christ is transforming the life, we become servants. It's not about what do I get out of this deal? It's not about what have you done for me lately? It's about what have I done for you lately? And church, this, this, is, this goes into the workplace. This goes into our marriages. It goes into our parenting. Every bit of it. If I'm to love my wife like Christ loves the church, I'm called to serve her. I'm, I'm called to edify her and lift her up. I got to admit though, sometimes, sometimes I, I'd rather not fold the laundry. <laughs> sometimes I'd rather not clean the kitchen. But then Jesus says, come on, let's get up and do it. Let's get up and do it. Paul goes on. We're servants of Christ Jesus. Then he goes on and he says, to all the saints. How does he describe the saints? They're in Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus, and they are saints who are in Christ Jesus. It's impossible to be a saint apart from Christ Jesus. It's all his work. It's all his doing. Now, let me just kind of clarify saint a little bit because in our culture, we have this kind of understanding of what a saint is and we think, oh, that's somebody who's perfect. That's somebody who has it all together. And we might use that word sarcastically sometime, you know, if someone's kind of maybe getting us about something. Oh, sorry, I forgot you were the saint around here, right? That's not what it means. This word saint comes from from the word holy, which means to be set apart for a special purpose, okay? Just like when, when I got married, I took an oath and I entered holy matrimony that I would set myself apart to Lisa for the rest of my life and to no other woman. And just as God had the priests in the Old Testament, they were holy and they were set apart for the work that they had to do with the temple, well, God's people now, because of the work that Christ has done, he calls them to be holy like he's holy and to be set apart for the work of God here on earth. To be set apart to serve the world and to love the world and to do the work of God. Do you get a sense from Paul as you've read Paul and maybe you're familiar with him that he was set apart? He was set apart not in a way that he avoided the world, but he went deep into the heart of the world with the gospel to take Christ into the world. So much so that he disturbed the world around him that they put him in prison. He said, I, I'm in bonds because of Jesus and for the sake of Christ. So to all the saints, that's us. You may not believe it, but you're a saint. We are the saints in Calamasa. How's that sound? And some of us are like, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't feel like a saint. I don't feel like a saint the way I drove on the freeway the other day. I don't feel like a saint the way I kind of went off on a coworker the other day. I don't feel like a saint. Well, you know what? You're a saint because you are called by God. You've been redeemed by God. 
It's by his grace you are saved. And don't give up. He's not done with you yet. You make some mistakes, it's going to happen. By the grace of God, as we progress, there's less of us and more of him as the years go on, right? Don't give up on him because he's not giving up on you. And so we are saints, the saints of Calamasa, those who are set apart to do the gospel work here in Calamasa and in this area. And he goes on in verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's all in Christ. We are servants of Christ. We, we are saints in Christ. And grace and peace to us from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace and peace comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ. There is no other source. There is no other source. You know, we all know life is crazy busy. And I kind of have a little theory that one of the things that prevents me from really growing in the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ is the speed of life. Not that the world inflicts on me, but that, that I choose to run at sometimes. And one time I was uh, signing off an email and sometimes I'll put grace and peace, you know, exclamation mark. And this time as I was doing it, I, I was writing it out and I forgot in the first E. It said grace and pace, exclamation mark. And I thought, wait a minute. There's a lot of truth there. So sometimes now I sign it that way, grace and pace. Because I find sometimes, you know, as disciples of Jesus, he invites us to stop and be taught. He invites us to stop and just be with him and to give space. And sometimes if life is too cluttered and too fast, we tend to like, God gets out on the outer and we don't give him our attention. And then we wonder, what, how come I don't have peace? How come I don't have grace? How come I don't, what's happening in me? It's about that relationship. It's about that relationship. Paul was tight with Jesus. The relationship was everything. As the passages I read earlier in the overview, you could see how he considered everything garbage compared to knowing Christ. It's a challenge for us, church. Saints of Calamasa, pastors, elders, deacons, everybody. It's a challenge for us. By the grace of God, may we grow to consider everything else garbage besides knowing Jesus Christ. For he alone is the source of life and purpose now and yet to come. So we begin this journey, a journey of growing and discovering that to live is Christ. Not financial security, not job security, not all kinds of other things we can base our security in. But Paul reminds us from a prison, in, bound in prison, that to live is Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, may we grow in our relationship with you. May we become more and more convinced by your grace towards us that nothing compares to you. 
May we be honest with our lives and, and take a look at our lives and wonder, are there, are there spaces in my life I'm filling with things that don't matter? When I can fill them with some time with you and some time with others and focusing on you and, and extending your service through me and the lives of, of others and at home. Lord, what an incredible life you have offered to us, your very life. May we, over the next several months, listen closely to what you've said through Paul in Philippians. And may you have your way with us, Lord. Thank you for who you are. Just take a moment now in silent prayer to just be with Jesus. Listen to him closely. And then just do what he asks you to do. And now as we go, may we go fully convinced by the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us that truly to live is Christ. God bless you.